Welcome everyone to Daf Yomi, one week at a time, Masechet Sota. Uh, today is our second class, and we are going to be reviewing Daf uh, 7 through 13. Uh, first of all, Moadim Lasimcha. Hope everyone had a wonderful Pesach. Um, before we begin, I just want to uh, dedicate tonight's Shi'ur in memory of uh, the D family uh, for Maya, Rina, and Lucy D, who uh, were unfortunately murdered this past week uh, in a terrible terrorist attack. And I just want uh, our learning to be in their memory and uh, their neshamot should have an aliyah. Um, okay. Um, we are going to begin on DAF 7, and um, we're going to continue on our journey that is Masechet Sota. I think some people after the first class were maybe a little uh, shocked by what happened. Uh, it's only, I don't want to say getting worse, but it's only getting worse. Um, so I just wanted to, uh, before we start as an introduction, um, I think it's important to recognize that on one hand, this is a very shocking ceremony, and we'll see more about the ceremony today. Um, but one thing to recognize is that this really is uh, to benefit the innocent woman. Uh, if a woman, uh, again, we're, we're definitely involved in a, uh, I guess I would say an unhealthy relationship uh, between the husband and the wife. I don't think that either side is completely, uh, you know, completely innocent. Um, but it's interesting to think about the sota ceremony as a mechanism by which the the wife is able to um, put aside all suspicions once and for all. Uh, you know, when there is uh, this suspicion between the husband and wife, um, ultimately one never knows. Uh, what the truth is. And I think it's interesting to think about the Sota ceremony as a way for this woman to clear her name once and for all, right? She can say, I didn't do anything, I didn't do anything, but, um, you know, it sounds like he is not going to believe her till um, till we have this ceremony. So, again, I I just want to put out there to think about this ceremony as benefiting the woman uh, definitely if she is innocent, if she is guilty, then it is definitely not to her benefit. Um, and, uh, maybe that will help when discussing this. Okay. Um, Duff seven, um, the Mishnah tells us what is the procedure. The husband brings his wife to the local court, wherever they live, um, to, and then when they determine that, um, she is in fact a Sota. Uh, they are then told to go up to Jerusalem. Two scholars escort them to Jerusalem. Um, this is so that uh, there is someone there to prevent, right? He is not allowed to have relations with her. So if these two men are there, uh, hopefully it will prevent him from having relations with his wife on the way. Um, uh, another opinion is we do not need these two scholars. We trust the husband uh, not to do the wrong thing. Um, the Gemara explains that 
we have three men and one woman, and that isn't yichud. Uh, it is not inappropriate for these four people to be together. Um, and the, these two scholars are there to prevent him from having relations with her. But if he does, we now have two witnesses to the fact, um, which again is, um, it, we have those witnesses there. Um, excuse me. Um, okay, as I said, um, the, another opinion is that the husband can go by himself with her. We trust him. Uh, so, de oraita, according to the Torah, he can go alone. De Rabbanan, it is a rabbinic enactment that there should be two escorts with them. The Mishnah continues that he takes her in Jerusalem to the Sanhedrin, to the great court, um, which is on Har Habayit, on the Temple Mount. Um, there, they intimidate her uh, in the sense that they make they want to make sure that she is telling the truth. And if uh, she is indeed guilty, they want her to uh, admit it uh, at this point. Uh, the Gemara also says that this is the same case with witnesses that come in a capital case, meaning if there is capital punishment, if we have witnesses, we also intimidate them in the sense that we want to make sure that they are telling the truth because there's someone's life at stake as well. Uh, so again, this isn't like, you know, against women. This is because it is very serious. Um, right. And they say to her, right, many things are going to um, maybe cause you to, to, to commit adultery. Uh, you know, not it's not your fault, but. You know, I'm sure there are other pressures and, you know, sanctify God's name and admit it now um, and admit your guilt. If she says she's guilty, so as we mentioned, she gets divorced and she does not get her ketuvah money. Um, if she says that she is innocent, so then we're going to proceed with the ceremony. So we bring her to the east gate and the priest pulls on her neckline and basically rips her garment, uh, revealing her heart, uh, and then uncovers her hair and unbraids it. And uh, all of this is to uh, embarrass her. Uh, the Gemara says if her body or hair are very beautiful, then we don't do it because we don't want other people to be attracted to her in this moment. Um, if let's say she's wearing uh, um, clothing, we change her clothing. If she was wearing black clothing to white clothing, um, we remove her jewelry. Uh, and the Mishnah ends by saying anyone can come and watch the ceremony except her servants. Uh, and we will explain what this means. Um, again, we uh, we want her to admit her in her guilt if she is guilty. Um, but if we already uh, prepared the bitter waters, which uh, this, the way one does it is by um, dissolving God's name in the water. If they already did that then we make her drink because at this point we already uh, erased God's name and we don't want that to be in vain uh, and she can drink after that. Um, 
we tell her, the, the, the Gemara says, we tell her things that she shouldn't hear. What does that mean? Um, stories of great people who sinned, uh, but they did tshuva, right? And here again, we're trying to say, right, we understand that you did the wrong thing, and if you did the wrong thing, you know, not that it's okay, but admit to it and do tshuva, uh, right? To repent while you can. Uh, we talk about Yehuda, who did tshuva, repented with Tamar. Uh, Reuven also does tshuva. Um, and the Gemara explains, right, that Yehuda clearly does tshuva in the Torah. Reuven sees that he did tshuva. And then, again, what, he's doing tshuva because um, Yehuda does tshuva because he um, didn't uh, marry off his third son to Tamar and then accused Tamar, his daughter-in-law, with having an affair. Uh, in the end, it was really he who slept with her, uh, and he clearly admits to this. Reuven, um, according to the pshat of the Torah, um, he sleeps with his uh, father's wife after he dies, um, which you are not allowed to do. Um, and uh, again, here the Midrash says that he saw Yuda do tshuva, so then Reuven does tshuva as well. Um, if, back to the Sota, if she admits that she was guilty, we write a receipt that she isn't getting the ketuva, um, or maybe it's enough to just rip the ketuva document. Daf 8 uh, tells us that uh, we actually walk her around the Temple Mount uh, to basically weaken her uh, so that we know that it's very hard um, to maintain a lie uh, when you're very tired, right? It's easier to tell the truth. So we kind of tire her out. We walk her around till she gets tired uh, so that maybe she will admit to what she did. Um, and as I mentioned again, the, the court did the same idea uh, did the same thing to witnesses that are witnesses for a capital crime. Uh, as I mentioned again, because it's so serious, uh, we want to make sure that they aren't lying. Um, the Gemara tells us that three people are brought to Sha'ar Nikanor. Sha'ar Nikanor is what we were calling the Eastern Gate. Um, it's at the top of the 15 stairs. It's the gate into uh, the um, the main courtyard of the temple of the Beit HaMikdash. Um, who are the three people brought there? Um, the Sota, the Mitzorah, someone who has leprosy, and the Yoledet, uh, a woman who gave birth who needs to bring a sacrifice. Um, and um, we, the Gemara says that we cannot do this ceremony for two sotas at the same time. Um, one reason is because it might cause uh, one woman to be emboldened and, right, if she's not going to admit, so then I'm also not going to admit it. Um, or maybe it's based on a verse that you're not allowed to do it together. Um, if, however, one of the women is trembling, so then it's okay, um, because, again, we see that she's already scared, so it doesn't matter if there's somebody else there. Or, uh, again, you shouldn't drink, make two women drink at the same time. We don't bundle the uh, mitzvot together. In Hebrew, we say 
אין עושים מצוות חבילות חבילות, we don't bundle up מצוות, we do them one at a time, each in their proper time. Um, and uh, however, the Gemara says, if there are two kohanim uh, at, you know, in the Beit HaMikdash that are free, they each can do a sota ceremony uh, at the same time. Um, we said that the kohen tears her clothing and uncovers her. Um, and uh, the the Gemara mentioned that it's similar to a, a person that is being stoned. When a man is stoned, they actually remove all his clothing. Uh, we'll see in a minute that basically um, the person dies quicker, meaning the death is quicker if they're not wearing clothing because clothing um, will um, protect the body. And, uh, you know, in the Gemara, the person will want to die as quickly as possible. Uh, so they cover up the genitals, but everything else is uncovered. A woman, on the other hand, is uh, not undressed. She is clothed because, um, again, we don't want to embarrass her. Uh, so the Gemara says, well, we don't want people to see the sota unclothed um, because if she's found innocent, right, maybe uh, you know, we're concerned that a man who saw her, uh, you know, unclosed in the Beit HaMikdash will then chase her afterwards and want to marry her because of that, uh, as opposed to Skila, when, when a person is being uh, killed, uh, so then it doesn't matter because they're being killed. Or uh, the opposite, uh, we want the, um, as, as I mentioned before, uh, when a person is being killed, we want it to be as quickly and painlessly as possible. Um, and therefore, uh, it's interesting that the Gemara mentions the idea of ve'ahavta l'reacha kamocha. Right? We should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Um, it's fascinating that the Gemara would talk about capital punishment in this way. Uh, but the idea is um, that even in death, we want the death to be as... Um, either um, with as much dignity as possible or as quickly as possible, depending on who you are. Um, okay, then um, after he rips her clothing, he then covers her up again and ties it with a palm rope, a rope made out of palm uh, branches. Uh, it seems that this is very cheap. It's very embarrassing. Um, and um, everybody can watch it, or maybe, as I mentioned, maybe only women should watch it, again, because of the uncovering of the woman. Okay, the Gemara continues. Uh, a very famous concept in Hebrew is, uh, is what we call midah, keneged midah. Uh, in English, we say uh, a measure for a measure. Uh, the Mishnah tells us that God pays a person back with the same measure of exactly what they deserve. Um, so the Gemara goes, the Mishnah goes through um, all the steps of the Sota process and compares it to her crime, right? So she made herself beautiful for the adulterer. So now we're making her repulsive. This is actually, you know, kind of the opposite. Or, or she revealed herself to the adulterer. Therefore, we're revealing herself here. Uh, and again, back and forth for each part of the, um, the process and the punishment, it's all um, specific to the things that she did. Um, 
the the Gemara now explains, again, we're talking about, a, I guess, crime and punishment, uh, but the Gemara says nowadays we don't have a court that gives capital punishment. Um, the, the Gemara explains that even if there's no court, God still gives uh, divine punishment. So if you are... Um, if you are chayav, uh, if you are uh, deserving of uh, or need to get a, a certain punishment, so then um, you will get it in a different way, right? So the Gemara goes through all four of the capital punishments and explains how different deaths um, can uh, simulate those four capital punishments. Uh, but the idea is that um, even small deeds add up and that God takes care of uh, people who need to be punished. Um, Daf 9 uh, tells us that uh, God also punished the nations uh, that needed to be punished. Uh, and here, the Gemara talks about Egypt. Again, I thought it was, uh, I always tell this to my children. I love when uh, Dafiomi is exactly uh, for the time or things that are happening right now. So uh, the Gemara talks about Egypt being punished three times throughout history. Um, wh since we're talking about punishment, uh, the, the Gemara tells us that God waits for the evil person to finish all the things that they need to do, and then he punishes them. Uh, and maybe not in this world, but in the next world. Uh, and I think this is the Gemara's way of explaining um, what we call uh, Rasha Vitovlo, right? When someone is evil and it looks like they're living in a palace and everything is amazing, and we say, we, we don't understand, where's the justice? Uh, and I think that the Gemara is saying, there is divine justice. We need to be patient and we don't always see it. Uh, and I think, at least for me, this is a very comforting thought uh, that um, we definitely do not understand uh, what goes on in this world. Uh, when, I'll take the other side of Tzadik Veralo, right, for uh, righteous people that suffer. Uh, and unfortunately, we are seeing a lot of suffering these days. And I think that this, the Gemara is saying that, um, you know, there's a reason for everything and we don't understand it. Uh, and there is, right, as we all know, uh, we learned many times uh, that just like we make a bracha and we bless God for the good things, uh, we make a bracha for the bad things as well, right? And we believe that there is justice in the world. Um, okay, uh, let's continue. Um, the Sota. Um, continues and talks about, um, here we talk about um, a list of people who wanted things, uh, but they lost it all, right? The Sota desired someone who is forbidden to her, and now she not only is forbidden to that man, but she's forbidden to her husband. And the Gemara gives a long list of people that desired things uh, and lost everything, right? Cain and Korach and Bilam. And there's a whole list of people. Um, and um, the next Mishnah tells us that um, since we are talking about Midah Keneged Midah, uh, again, a measure for a measure. We're going to go through um, different people throughout the Tanakh 
who uh, has punishments and how those punishments fit the crime, right? So Shimshon, Samson, went after his eyes, uh, meaning he desired many women. Therefore, the Plishtim, the Philistines, poked out his eyes. Uh, Avshalom, who was the son of David, um, also got Midah Keneged Midah. Um, which we'll discuss in the Gemara in a minute. Uh, the the Mishnah, however, also adds that this also works for good, um, meaning we, if you do good, you get good in return. Um, Miriam waited for Moshe, again, uh, uh, Pesach-related. Miriam watched baby Moshe right in the Nile, um, and she waited an hour, and B'nai Israel waited for her for seven days in the, uh, in the desert when she had it, Sarat. Um, Yosef buried his father, and then Moshe buried or took out Yosef's bones from Egypt, and then God buried Moshe, right? So this is actually like a three-part um, thing. And at the end of the Mishnah, uh, it tells us that all righteous people are buried by God, uh, which is an interesting thing to think about. Um, okay, the Gemara now is going to discuss Shimshon, Samson. So just a quick uh, overview. Uh, Samson, Shimshon, was a judge from the book of Shoftim, Judges. Uh, he married three Plishti women, not Jewish women. The last one was Zlila, um, and she convinced him to tell him to tell her the source of his strength, which was his hair, uh, and then they cut his hair, and then he lost all his strength. Uh, he was captured by the Philistines, uh, and in the end, he is, you know, kind of tra strapped to these two pillars um, and uh, in a in a theater, um, and he, um, you know, gathers all the strength that he has. Uh, pushes the pillars down and kills many plishtim and himself uh, in the process. So that's just a quick overview. Um, so now the Gemara basically is going to what we see in uh, Gemara language to darshan, uh, to go through all the verses um, and all the different uh, midrashim or stories about these people uh, actually come from here. So uh, the Gemara says that, as I mentioned before, um, Yes, exactly. Uh, Zohar says that he uh, sacrifices his life in order to kill the plishtim. Um, so it says that he desired uh, the first woman with his eyes. Therefore, the plishtim took out his eyes. Um, and his he first started falling in Aza. Um, that's where he met the second woman, uh, Delila. As I mentioned, right? Why is she named Dlila? So the Gemara says she Dildila. She she weakened his strength um, or uprooted his strength um, and his heart and his actions and caused God to depart from him. Um, right? She basically pestered him till he told her his secret. Um, Angels actually told Shimshon's mother not to eat anything impure while she was pregnant. Again, he was a Nazir uh, from birth, so he never had any grapes or wine. Um, that's why he had such long hair. Um, he saved. Um, he was saved with a jawbone of a donkey. 
uh, and the, the, as I mentioned, the Shekhinah was always with him. Uh, Daften continues with Shimshon uh, that he asked for one last chance to be strong, to take revenge on the Prishtim. Uh, another thing that happened is that he captures a hundred foxes and he ties the pairs together and he puts a torch in between their tails and then they set the fields on fire. Uh, this was his way of getting back at the Prishtim. Uh, as we mentioned, Shimshon was so strong that he could actually uproot and carry uh, the gates of Ashkelon. Of Ashkelon. Um, the, uh, interesting, the, the Gemara says that uh, the Plishtima brought their wives to get pregnant from Shimshon uh, while he was in jail. Um, I guess, right, he was very strong. They thought that that would, I guess, uh, I don't know, uh, produce uh, strong children. Um, okay. Uh, we say Shimshon is like the name of God, like Shemesh, which is uh, the sun, but which was also like a protector of Bnei Israel. Um, and um, uh, it, the Gemara says that there were five people who were like God, uh, but then that godliness was also their downfall, right? Shimshon with his strength, uh, but in the end, uh, it was taken from him. Shaul was very tall, um, but he, right, it says, right, that his neck was very long, uh, and he died at, by his neck. Uh, Avshalom, uh, the son of David, his hair was very beautiful, but he was killed with his hair, which we'll see later on. Um, it's Sidkiyahu with his eyes. Um, Nebuchadnezzar uh, blinded him and Asa with his feet, King Asa uh, with his feet and he was struck uh, at the end his feet were struck uh, Asa um, basically made uh, the the um, the sages, the, the scholars work for him um, which was problematic um, and now since we talked about Yudah um, and Yehuda went to, sorry, Shimshon went to Timna, and so did Yehuda. So now we're going to talk about Yehuda and Tamar. Uh, so this is the story. Uh, Yehuda is one of the uh, right sons of Yaakov. Uh, he had three sons. The oldest son was married to a woman named Tamar. Uh, the son died without any children. As you all know, they needed to do Yibum. Uh, so then uh, the next son, uh, marries Tamar. He also dies without children. Uh, and then Yuda is reluctant to give Tamar to his third son. He says, you know, I'll call you when he gets older. He doesn't call him. Uh, he doesn't call her. And basically Tamar takes it into her own hands. She dresses up as a harlot, uh, sleeps with him. Lo and behold, she gets pregnant. Three months later, they take her out. They want to stone her because she is not allowed to be with anybody else. Uh, in the end, uh, it turns out that it is from Yuda, And he, as we mentioned, he admits that, um, that it was really him all along and that she was correct in what she did. Uh, the Gemara says that, that Tamar was very modest. She always had her face covered, which is why uh, Yuda did not recognize her from before. Uh, and therefore, uh, kings and prophets uh, come out of her. Um, and Tamar also teaches us that it's better to get killed than to embarrass someone, right? She does not say uh, that it was actually... Um, 
that it is not uh, uh, I, that she doesn't point to Yuda. She just kind of hints at it, um, and therefore we see that she did not want to embarrass him. Um, okay, that is Yehuda, uh, and uh, the Gemara tells us that Yehuda didn't sleep with her uh, again, or maybe he didn't stop being with her, right? It seems they were married afterwards. Um, okay, now we're going to get to Avshalom. Avshalom was uh, the son of David. He was also a Nazir, um, and every year he made a feast when he cut his hair. Um, and, um, the end of the story is very tragic. I mean, the end, I mean, he also rebels against his father, which is tragic. Uh, and then his hair, he's riding along and his hair gets caught on a branch, uh, and he, uh, gets killed that way. Um, so the Gemara tells us he was a holy man, uh, very beautiful. He shaved his head every year and made a party. Um, and, um, and when David heard that uh, Avshalom died, he trembled and cried um, when he heard about uh, Avshalom. Um, Avshalom made a monument in his lifetime. Uh, this is actually called Yad Avshalom. Uh, this may or may not be uh, the, the monument across or right outside of the old city of Jerusalem uh, to the east. Uh, there is a, a large stone monument uh, going, you know, basically in the valley on your way to the um, Tahar Hazetim. It's called Yad Avshalom. Uh, the Gemara says that he made this monument in the Valley of the Kings because he didn't have any children. We're now on Daf 11. Uh, but then the Gemara says, wait a minute. It says that he had three sons and one daughter. Um, but maybe it's because none of them were appropriate to be kings. Maybe that's why he made it. Or um, he um, did something wrong and therefore his children died uh, before he died and therefore he built himself a monument. Interestingly enough, it is still standing to today uh, if it is that exact monument. Okay, from here, uh, we said that it's also for good, midah keneged midah, uh, and therefore Miriam, uh, right, we said Bnei Israel waited for her like she waited for Moshe. What's interesting is, is that she waits an hour and they wait seven days. So the Gemara says, you're right, um, it's much more, right? It's not equal measure for measure. Rather, it's actually um, much more than what you, you do in the first place. Um, right, just like, uh, as, ah, the Gemara says, just like Miriam watched over Moshe, so too Hashem watched over Moshe as well. Uh, and from here, uh, again, because it's Pesach, um, the Gemara is talking, talks a lot about different stories about Paro in Egypt, right? The Pharaoh, uh, Paro started the persecutions of the Jewish people. He started them himself. Um, and therefore he was stricken by the Makot first, by the plagues first. Um, he said to, uh, strike the, um, the Jewish people with water because he thought that the Jews, that God will not destroy them with water, right? Because of the Mabul, because of the, the 
flood in the time of Noah, God says he's not going to destroy the world. He didn't realize that it didn't mean that God couldn't destroy a nation, uh, right? Obviously, he was wrong. Um, it seems that Paro um, uh, has, seeks counsel from three different people. This is a very famous Midrash. Who are the three people? Bil'am, who we're going to see in Sefer Bamidbar, um, Yitro, and Iov. Uh, and interestingly, the, the Gemara tells us Bil'am was the one who gave the idea of killing all the, the kids, uh, and therefore he was going to be killed, Bil'am, later, uh, later in his life. Um, Iov stayed quiet. Right, this is Job. Uh, he stays quiet, therefore he suffers in his life. And Yitro actually runs away because he doesn't want to be involved in this discussion. Uh, and therefore he merited to sit on the Sanhedrin, on the uh, the court. Um, there are many um, verses written in the singular when speaking about the suffering of the Jewish people. Um, and it seems that here the Gemara explains it as uh, it pained Paro to afflict B'nai Yisrael, right? Meaning he says, oh, this is so hard for me to make, uh, you know, these people work for me. Um, that, uh, uh, but interesting, the other side of that coin is as much as the Egyptians tried to kill the Jewish people, they continued to multiply. Um, it says that, um, it says that they work them avodat parech. Uh, so the Gemara explains what does this mean, parech? Uh, it, it really means the, it really means like crushing work. Um, uh, one way to understand it here, the Gemara uh, explains avodat parech as perach, a soft mouth. What does that mean? Uh, that the Egyptians started, um, the, the slavery started off very slowly, uh, almost with a soft mouth. Oh, you'll just do a little bit of work here. You'll just do a little bit of work there. Um, and then it builds up more. Uh, or as I mentioned, parech means crushing work. Uh, here is a very famous Midrash uh, talking about uh, the Jews in Egypt, that what was the such terrible work that the, the Egyptians switched, the, they gave the men's work to the women and the women's work to the men, right? And both of those things are torturous, right? Women, uh, it's very difficult for them to do men's work and for men to do women's work. It's maybe demeaning or maybe it's difficult for them. Um, and here, another, <clears throat> sorry, one second. Another very, very famous line that um, the Jewish people were redeemed because of righteous women, right? Bizchut nashim tzidkaniot nigaalu avotenu. Righteous women were the cause of the redemption. Um, what is this story? So the Gemara here explains, and uh, those of you who are, if you're looking at the Gemara, these dapim are very, very long because we have a lot of stories now. Um, so uh, I guess it's good we're getting a little break from uh, the Sota ceremony. Uh, so what happened in Egypt? Um, God made a miracle happen that whenever the Jewish people went to draw water in a well, not only did water come up, 
but small fish came up, uh, and then they would fry up the fish, and they would give their husbands in the field the fish and the water, uh, and then the husbands felt good, so then they were in a good mood, and then they seduced their husbands, and they slept with them, then they became pregnant, then they gave birth under the apple trees in the field. Uh, this is one reason some people say that we make haroset out of apples, uh, because the women uh, gave birth under the apple trees uh, in, the, in Egypt, in the field. Um, and then now comes, I didn't remember this part of the story, uh, that angels came, right, again, they had to go back to work. So angels came and they cleaned up all the babies and they took care of the babies and they fed them, the angels, uh, fed the babies. And then if Egyptians, if the Egyptians would come, then the babies were sunk uh, or swallowed up by the ground. Don't worry, they were going to be fine. Uh, they were swallowed up by the ground, and even if the Egyptians came and tried to plow the field, they were fine. Uh, and then when the Egyptians left, uh, they basically grew out of the ground. I'm imagining like cabbage patch dolls. They also came out of the ground. Um, maybe that's where they got it from. Uh, and then what's the proof? The Gemara says that at Yamsuf, at the 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 Red Sea, it says that uh, right? This is our God. Uh, when we use the word ze, it usually means we're pointing. Uh, the Gemara says that these babies or children recognized God at uh, Yamsuf and they're pointing to God because that's the God that kept them alive uh, in those fields, which I thought was fascinating. Since we're talking about Egypt and the redemption and um, Righteous women, who are the most righteous women? The midwives. Um, some say, right, again, in the Torah, it's Shifra and Pua. Um, those were their names. Uh, the, here the Gemara tells us it's either Yocheved and Miriam, right, mother and daughter, or Yocheved and Elisheva. Uh, Elisheva was Aaron's wife. Um, so it was either a mother and a daughter or a mother and her daughter-in-law. Uh, and the Gemara gives a lot of midrashim here, a lot of stories about the midwives, that they not only didn't kill the babies, they fed them. Uh, they said that, right, this nation is like wild animals. Uh, and what's, that, what's the connection, right? That always also a little bit bothered me. What does it mean, wild animals? They meant, right, they give birth so quickly, they don't need help. Um, here the Gemara says, right, we know that each one of the tribes is compared to an animal, right? Yehuda is a lion, Dan is a snake, Naphtali is a deer. So it's interesting that it was like a play on, um, uh, is a play on, on that. Um, ah, uh, my mother-in-law is saying maybe it was a date tree and that's why Sfaradim used dates. Um, could be, even though here the Gemara talks about the apple tree, uh, but it could be. Uh, date might be more uh, going to maybe like, um, you know, um, into Gan Eden, right? The, the trees, maybe date is Tamar, one of Shivata Minim. We definitely like dates more than apples. Um, I mean, like in, in Judaism, in terms of Shivata Minim, so maybe. Um, good, good question. Um, okay. Um, it says that Hashem made houses for the midwives, right? The house of the Kohanim and the Leviim, right? Priests and Levites, or of kingship, right? Um, that kings came from Kalev and Miriam. I don't know if you guys know, but there is a Midrash that Miriam marries Kalev. Um, 
Um, okay, uh, Daf 12. Um, we now have stories about Miriam, since we were talking about Miriam. Uh, it says that um, apparently Miriam was very sickly uh, in the beginning and no one wanted to marry her, uh, but Kalev wanted to marry her because uh, he realized that she was righteous and she would have righteous children. Um, so uh, Kalev nurses her back to health. Uh, maybe after the tzarat, if you remember that she gets tzarat, leprosy. Um, and uh, right again, Kalev resists the temptation to be like the other spies. Um, and um, here they were uh, a match made in heaven, as we would say. Uh, and in the end, Miriam was so beautiful right after she became healthy. Um, everyone talks about her, be her beauty. Uh, back to Paro in Egypt. He made three decrees, first to kill all the babies uh, via the midwives. Uh, then he saw that that wasn't working because the midwives weren't doing it. So then to throw them into the Nile. Um, and on the day that Moshe was born, he decreed that all the male babies be killed, even Egyptian ones, because he didn't know, uh, you know where he was going to come from. Um, and here we have another famous story. Uh, of Amram. Amram is Moshe's father, um, who saw the matzav. He, he looked around. Uh, the Jews were suffering and people were dying. And he basically said, how can we bring more children into this world? So he divorces his wife. And since he was one of the leaders of the community, so did everybody else. Um, and Miriam, right, his daughter, again, are righteous women. Miriam said to him, you're worse than Paro, right? Paro only decreed against the boys. You're decreeing about all children, right? He, um, he is, uh, you know, decreed about they should be killed in this world, but they have uh, the world to come. Uh, and therefore, he listens to his daughter um, and he remembered his wife, meaning uh, he, he went, got back together with his wife. He marries her, and then she becomes pregnant. Um, since we're talking about them, uh, we, we're going to go to Yocheved. Yocheved is Moshe's mother. It says that she's a bat Levi, which normally we use to say a descendant of Levi. Here the Gemara sees it as literal. She is the literal daughter of Levi, which would make her about 130 years old. Um, and right, she was conceived on the way to Egypt and she's born in Egypt, right? She is the 70th soul, right? It says that 70 people came down to Egypt. Uh, she is the 70th. Um, from here, uh, the Gemara continues giving us the uh, miraculous stories of Moshe's birth. Um, so, uh, right, he was, the Gemara tells us that he was named Tov or Tuvia, uh, again, because he was so perfect or so good. He's born, uh, he was born circumcised already. Um, and when he was born, the, the house filled with light. Um, Yocheved was able to hide him for three months, um, either because he was born early or she became pregnant three months before she actually remarried her husband. Um, and uh, that's that story. Uh, now, since we're continuing on uh, the redemption journey, we're going to go to Bat Paro, right? Miriam Yocheved puts Moshe into the uh, basket and he's taken down the Nile. Uh, there's a 
great animation in the movie Prince of Egypt of that scene. Uh, he's taking down the Nile and he gets to Bat Paro, uh, the daughter of Paro. Uh, she goes down to bathe. So the Gemara says, what does it mean to bathe? She's actually purifying herself from her father's idols. Um, it seems that her maidens were going to kill her because uh, they didn't want her to save Moshe, uh, but the angel Gabriel saves her. Um, it says that she stretch, stretches out her arm um, or she sends her maidservant. Her arm miraculously lengthened uh, to reach out to get the basket. Uh, and she saw, when she opened the basket, she saw the Shekhinah. She saw the divine presence uh, with this child. She also saw that he was circumcised. And that's how she knew that he was Jewish. Um, on the day that Moshe was saved, uh, they actually abolished the decree to kill all the male babies um, because now the astrologers didn't see the sign, right? There was a sign that they saw that the savior of the Jewish people was going to be killed by water. And as soon as he was taken out of the water, they didn't see the sign anymore. Uh, and therefore, they, they didn't realize that the water he was going to be killed with was actually May Meriva, right? The water, when he strikes the rock, uh, the water comes out. Uh, he is told that he is going to die in the desert because of that water. So he does die because of water, uh, but not denial. Um, and it seems that Bat Paro has prophecy. She has a nevuah about this, but she didn't understand what it meant. Um, the day that Moshe was placed into the Nile was the 21st of Nisan, uh, which is the same day as Kriyat Yamsuf, which is tomorrow night, by the way. Uh, so again, uh, back to uh, all of these beautiful uh, stories uh, to lift our spirits. Uh, at least it's helping with mine. Um, or uh, if it's not the 21st of Nisan, it could be that it was Vav Sivan, Right, Vav Sivan is the day of Matan Torah, uh, when we got the Torah. Now, the Gemara says Vav Sivan makes sense if we know that, our, that Moshe was born Zain Adar. So if he's born in Adar, Adar, Nisan, Iyar, so Sivan, okay, it's three months later. Now I understand why right, she needed to put him in the basket then. If it was the 21st of Nisan, he was just born a month ago, uh, what's the, how does that work? So the Gemara says, oh, that year was a leap year. Um, so it was a leap year, therefore there's an extra month, uh, and therefore um, by then um, they couldn't hide him anymore. Um, it says that Moshe refused to nurse from the Egyptian women, right? That's why uh, they had to get a Jewish nursemaid, which turns out to be Yocheved, his mother. Um, uh, the Gemara says that the mouth that's going to speak to God should only nurse from uh, a Jewish woman. Um, and as and to finish up this story, Miriam was a Nevi'ah, right? She was a prophetess even before Moshe was born. Therefore, she's called Miriam Achot Aharon, Miriam the uh, the sister of Aharon, because even before Moshe was born, she already had prophecy, right? And she prophesied that her mother will give birth to the person who is going to take them out of Egypt. 
Okay, our last daf, which is actually tomorrow's daf, uh, daf 13, um, we have Yosef. Um, we're going to talk about Yosef. And when the Egyptians saw all the honor that uh, they gave at Yaakov's funeral, they began to honor the family. Uh, it says that they actually had 36 crowns on Yaakov's coffin, and these were from all of his descendants, the children of Esav, the children of Yishmael and Keturah. Oh, maybe that's a beautiful idea of like unity, right? Everyone came together to bury Yaakov. So uh, I don't even have to spell that out. I think that that's very clear. Um, okay, um, Esav. Um, ah, so let's get to the story of Yaakov's burial. Uh, this is another, I think, relatively famous story uh, that they go to bury Yaakov in Marata Machpelah in Hebron in the uh, cave of the patriarchs um, in Hebron uh, and Asaph gets there and he says what do you think you're doing that's my spot right he knew that Marata Machpelah was going to have four couples they're already there meaning Adam and Chava Adam and Eve Avram and Sarah Yitzchak and Rivka and Leah, right? We're fine, yeah. Leah is already buried there, right? Yaakov buries Leah there. So Asaph says, "There's only one spot left, and that's going to be my spot." Uh, and the the children say, "What do you mean? You you sold your right to be buried here, right? You sold the bechorah. You sold your right to be buried here." So then he says, "What do you mean? I sold the bechorah. I sold the." Um, the right to the firstborn, but I didn't sell my plot. Um, so they say, no, no, we have a document that says that you sold it. So they decided to send Naftali, one of the brothers. He's fast like a deer. Remember we said he's compared to a deer. So he's like Flash, those of you who know comic books. So he's like Flash, he runs, and they send him all the way to Egypt to run and get the document. But before he gets there, Hushim ben Dan, the son of Dan, who actually is deaf and doesn't understand what all the commotion is. And he says, what's going on? And they say, Esav wants to be buried here. They don't, they're not letting Yaakov come. Uh, and, and Hushim says, I don't know what's going on. He takes a knife and he kills Esav on the spot. Um, and... Uh, this is actually a fulfillment of the prophecy that Rachel has that both her children were going to be buried on the same day. Uh, and again, I think that this is very powerful as uh, uh, unfortunately I was at the funeral yesterday of two sisters who were buried on the same day. So this is very powerful. Um, okay. Um, Let's continue. While all the Jews are getting gold from Egypt, uh, Moshe was busy doing a mitzvah. What was he doing? Uh, he was trying to find Yosef's bones. Um, Yosef uh, was buried in Egypt many years beforehand, and the, the, the bones were um, hidden. He looks for three days, and then the daughter of Asher, Serach bat Asher, 
um, tells him that she's also still alive. She tells him uh, that the metal coffin was placed in the Nile and he needs to uh, go get it. Um, so then he says, right, he goes to the edge of the Nile and he says, the time has come, Yosef, to fulfill, right, we're fulfilling the oath that you made, right, that uh, we want to come and take you to, to Israel, so you need to show yourself, and the coffin floats to the surface. Um, or another version of this story is that he was buried in the royal catacombs, and when he says, right, again, Moshe says, uh, it's really time uh, to, it's time to go, let's go, you need to show yourself, uh, apparently the bones rattled in the coffin, uh, and that's how Moshe was able to figure out which coffin was Yosef's. Um, okay, uh, a, a beautiful idea is that um, the Jewish people carried two um, arons, right? Two, um, right? We say we say an ark, but basically two wooden boxes, right? One with Yosef's bones, and one was the Aaron that held the tablets, right, the God's presence. Uh, so I think that that's also just this beautiful idea of <laughs> the parallel between um, the honor given to burying Yosef and the honor obviously given to God. Um, the Torah tells us that Yosef is buried in Shechem uh, by his children. The Gemara asks why. Again, that's where the story all started, right? He was kidnapped from Shechem in the first place. Therefore, again, since we're talking about a measure for a measure or full circle, um, Yosef is laid to rest in Shechem. Um, and uh, the, the Torah tells us that Yosef dies before his brothers um, because he uh, showed excessive authority over them. Uh, from here, we go on to Moshe, because as we said, right, Yosef buries Yaakov, therefore Moshe buried Yosef, so now God buries Moshe. Um, and here, uh, the Gemara tells us that Moshe dies at age 120, exactly, he died on his birthday, um, when the gates of wisdom were closed to him, uh, and God buried him, uh, and uh, it tells us that he went up to Har Nevo. Uh, it, it, it says Har Nevo from the word Nevi'im, that uh, the Gemara actually says that all three prophets were buried on this mountain, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. Um, and it's in the portion of Reuven, uh, that's where he dies, but God buries him in the portion of God, um, and God as in the Shevet, God, G-A-D. Uh, I never thought about that, uh, but interesting, right? Okay, um, and um, right. others say that uh, he actually never died, uh, but he continues to serve God, uh, you know, in heaven. Uh, and the top of Da'a 14 tells us that no one really knows where Moshe is buried. Even the Romans tried to find the burial spot, uh, but they couldn't. Uh, and I think that, um, at least for me, this daf is a comfort uh, to know that, uh, you know, God uh, comforts those who need comforting 
and um, it's it's again just fascinating to uh, read these stories when they are so applicable to our current situation. Um, so I really just want to wish everyone a moadim lesimcha, a chag sameach, and we should just have. Uh, what we say here is besorot tovot, just good notices, good news. Um, Bezrat Hashem, next week also we are going to meet Monday night. Um, so sorry for all the changes, but uh, we will learn more more stories uh, and then go back to some more sota. Uh, so wishing everyone a Chag Sameach. Bye.